Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. All right, well, we're continuing our summer series here, Chase the Win, really looking at what or how about this? Who are we chasing? That's really comes down. And I was thinking about, I was like chasing after and striving and trying to, to grasp something greater. And, and I thought of, you know, chasing after when we're, we're running after something. We, it's hard to get a hold off a little bit. And, and I just thought of a, a story. It's a real life thing that happened. Did, did you ever hear about Larry, the, uh, the lawn chair Larry? Has anybody heard lawn chair Larry? You heard that before? Some of you know, I remember I shared that with you. It's a real true story that happened. You're, when you hear it, you're like, nah, that really happened. This really happened. Lawn Chair Larry, he got the title. Larry Walters is his name. And Larry, he was a military vet. And really, after his career, in, he didn't have a whole lot of beyond his life. Really, in a sense, got bored with life. And so he had this brilliant idea one day. He was in his backyard, and he thought, gosh, I really want to go and do something a little bit bigger and higher in, in my life. And so, you know, you heard people, you know, getting high. Well, Larry literally wanted to do that. And so he took 45 weather balloons, went down to the military, Army surplus store, 45 weather balloons, and tethered them to his lawn chair, filled them with helium. And they got some friends together, and they were going to help him get lifted up into the air. Now, he didn't just kind of go with it, just... He knew that if he wanted to get up in the air, he's going to want to have a good time. And so what he ended up doing was he made some sandwiches and packed a six-pack of Miller Lite and was ready to go. Also, he brought a BB gun. And the theory was he would, after he gets untethered, he'd float up in the air, maybe 30, 40 feet, and just kind of float around his neighborhood and people can wave. Look at Larry's up there in a lawn chair and balloons. And, and, and then he would, when the time was right, he would shoot with the BB gun, the balloons down and slowly come back down to earth. That was his plan, right? Didn't go that way. As soon as they cut the ropes, Larry shot up like a cannon, really high, really fast in the air, and he ended up, can you believe this? Not just a few hundred feet, but thousands of feet. They think that Larry climbed about 16,000 feet in the air, in the L.A. area. Well, he drifted very, very far from where he lived and got into the LAX air traffic. And literally, pilot size are flying like, what are you for? I, I think it's a guy in a lawn chair floating there. No, what are you drinking? What are you no, it really, truly is happening. So what happened is Larry got to a height. They don't know if whether, because he, he, he panicked a little bit. And he was stuck up there. And so what do you do when you panic? Well, you you eat the sandwiches and drink the six-pack of beer. So I don't know if he passed out from the alcohol or the altitude. They really don't know, but he was out. And, and so you can read the story of the details. They ended up getting like a SWAT team to get him down, and he fell into some power lines, and it was just it was a messy, messy thing. He ended up getting arrested, got a $4,000 ticket to do that. And so here's the thing. They ended up interviewing Larry, you know, local reporter. Can you imagine going up to him? Okay, Larry, you know, a few questions were this. Were you scared? Yes, I was scared. He actually said a little bit more in the article. You, don't, you can read that later. It's not something we say in church, the words he used. Larry, would you do that again? 
No, which good answers, quick learner. And then here's the big question. Larry, 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 why did you do that? His answer was this. I just got bored sitting around. And I thought, you know, in life, that's kind of is it, it, what we do in life. We, we look for entertainment. We look for things in our life because our issue in our life is much being discontented. Discontented with what we have. Discontentment is an issue that we all can struggle with. Now, I don't know if you take the extreme measures that Larry did of dealing with your boredom and your idleness, but reality is we can get desperate in trying to bring fulfillment in our lives. Now, if there's anyone in history who had a shot of finding fulfillment, if there's anyone that we look back in Scripture that had it all and had the potential to have it all, was Solomon. And yet at the end of his life, the most, you would say the most interesting man in the world back then, is it wasn't enough. As we were reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, what we find is Solomon repeats over and over and over in his life that what he has is meaningless. I mean, he chased after wealth and wisdom and wine and women and worldly pleasures. And at the end of the day, he calls it meaningless. Meaning the word meaningless means like vapor, smoke, emptiness, and chasing after so much that you never quite achieve. It's never enough, no matter how far you go on the heights that you would go in life. Larry and Solomon, we, uh, as much as they have extreme cases we can look at, we can all relate with them in life. But here's the question I want to wrestle with today is why? Why do we deal with discontentment? What is it that makes us take extreme measures to fill the voids in our life? What causes discontentment? How, how do we deal with in our life? Larry and then also Solomon would would say that of the extreme measures, it's not enough. Even Solomon would say, it, toiling under the sun, it's, it, it, you're working hard, hard, hard. And at the end of the day, what do you really have to show for it? And that's what we read through the first five chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. But today we're going to get to chapter six. And I want to be honest with you, doing a series like this is really good. It's a little challenging. Because there's times I'm tempted to kind of go with other passages of scriptures to make us feel a little bit better. To make us feel like, okay, get something that's a little bit more enjoyable that we can have. But when you're going through book to book, you you need to go through the book. In chapter 6, it was a little tough this week, to be honest with you. It was a little, there's bleakness that that Solomon expresses, but it's really kind of dark and depressive. So here we are, we're going to read it. We're going to start with the first couple verses. He says this at the beginning of chapter 6. He says, I've, I've seen another evil under the sun. It's, it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor. So they, they, they lack nothing, their heart's desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. Solomon is just getting, and we're going to read even darker here, and the bleakness of the, of the human condition. But the point is this, is that in times we need to hear this. Sometimes we just need to hear truth, but we also need to hear reality of a person that lives just under the sun, the S-U-N sun, the toil of sun. It is bleak. The sin condition of our world, it is dark. And Solomon just accentuates what he says. But I'm a little confused because he kind of mirrors an opposite contrast of what he says at the end of chapter 5. 
If you remember last week, we actually ended on an upbeat. Actually, Psalm at the end of it kind of goes, hey, what you need to find is, is gladness of heart and the joy of, of the Lord. And we're like, oh, that was great, Solomon. And then he crashes back down in chapter 6 on us. Because I'm confused a little bit because he's at the end of chapter 5 says that God gives them the ability to enjoy. That God gives people the ability to enjoy. And then chapter, that's chapter 5, then chapter 6 it says that God does not grant them ability. Like, oh, I'm confused, Solomon. What are you, what are you trying to say to us? It's a bit confusing. Well, you, you, you dig into it a little bit. I think it actually is on the topic of discontentment. I think that what we find is the issue is not whether you have wealth, whether you have possessions, whether you have power or whatever you get out of this world. That's not the issue, whether you have it or not have it. It has everything to do with your contentment or not discontentment. That some are able to enjoy what they have because there's appreciation for it. Others are not able, as much as they have everything they have, it's still not enough. And so when I see this contrast, when, when he talks about in chapter 6 in these verses about how a person has everything... And they don't, they don't enjoy any of it, but then the strangers that are around them actually enjoy what they have. Well, what's going on there? Well, my picture is, if you ever watch like a, a movie of a famous person, you get their life story or documentary. You see them and you got this, imagine like a massive LA party that's going on, pool party and music and food and dancing, just this massive party that's just happening in a rich mansion in LA. And everybody's having a good time except the guy that hosted or the woman that... It's their party. And people come up to them, hey, how come you're not enjoying your own party? What's wrong? What's, what's going on? It's like, uh, it's just, they've had one party after party. They've experienced it all. It's like nothing. There's a hollowness to them. Solomon's saying strangers are enjoying what they have, but the person themselves not enjoying it. There's a place, there's something deep with them, the issue of discontentment. The funny and famous comedian Jim Carrey was one who referenced himself of being that way. He says, I, I think everybody should get, get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it. it's not the answer. Solomon was the mega rock star. He was the mega, cele, mega celebrity back in that day. And at the end of it all, his life was empty. It had lacked meaning to his life and purpose. What happened though? What happened to Solomon? What brought Solomon to write these bleak words here in chapter 6 and you read through the book of Ecclesiastes? Now some of it's a lament. Some of it's just bearing his heart. Has he always been this way? Well, what we find is that in the story of Solomon, his life journey, there's a lot of brokenness, pain, but much, much of it could have been self-induced as we look along. But he didn't start that way. Solomon didn't start though. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of where the Bible talks about Solomon, it expresses this at the beginning. It says that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statue of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings in the high places. And what he's saying is that when many people were turned away from the Lord, Solomon wasn't. He was dedicated. He was still making offerings and sacrifices. He was because he loved God. He loved the Lord. He's passionate about the Lord. This word love is a rich Hebrew word. It means to love dearly, to make someone your beloved. Solomon started out with a desire to please God. And God was pleased with him and his love for him. That Solomon, or God comes to Solomon and says, I, I love the fact that you love me and I want to bless you. I'm going to grant you a wish. It was this make-a-wish moment that Solomon received and God says, I'll give you anything you want. And you know what God, what Solomon asked for? Was it 
It says here, it says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern your great people? What Solomon's saying is, I want wisdom. He, he walked in a place of humility before the Lord. Say, Lord, you are greater. You are massive. I'm, I'm young. I need help. I'm turning to you. He humbled himself before the Lord because he loved the Lord. And what's amazing is that God says, I'm going to grant you that what you gave, but I'm so pleased with your heart that that's what you're seeking after, that I'm going to bless you with everything else. And so what does he give him? Gives him wealth. He gives him power. He gives him all the pleasures of the world that you can, you can experience. And that's what Solomon did. And what we find is as Solomon got older, his heart got colder. And he drifted. He drifted. And what happened, what was giving him satisfaction, desire of loving and serving the Lord, he got up. He got caught up in all everything else beside, instead of the Lord. He got caught up in everything else that God was blessing with. He was, began to worship what God had given him rather than God himself. And so his heart grew cold. I don't know about you and where you're at in your walk with the Lord. Some of you would say, you know, there has been times or maybe you're in a place right now that your love for God has grown cold. Well, what happened is... In this coldness, in this distance, led to discontentment. And it became a dangerous thing that his desires began to shift. And in 1 Kings 11, it says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God, as the heart of David his father had been. And he began to drift and it says in verse 6, it says, So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. One time he was following the Lord completely, like his father David. And now we read, at the end of his life, it's completely the opposite. What happened? Well, he experienced discontentment. And that discontentment, he was led in his desires. He was pulled away. He was distracted away. And it was his fault, but he allowed the influence of those 700 wives. Can you imagine that influence that happened as they served other gods? And so he began to run after other gods. And, and, and when he did that, it created discontentment and dissatisfaction that he ended up as some would call it, he synergized his life. He tried to walk both sides of the road. He tried to walk the line of having what he wanted over here and serving God over here. And he began to try to live in these both, have the best of both worlds. The guy that had it all and experienced it all tried to live that way. And at the end of the day, it was going to be a collapse of him at the very end to lead toward destruction. Maybe you felt that way in your life where your heart had gone cold and there was, you, you lacked some passion of following Jesus and you got pulled away and you began to drift and your, your heart became cold. At one time you loved God and served Jesus and now there's a distance in your relationship with him. Jesus even called out the church to do that in Church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. He says, I have this against it. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You abandoned your, your first love. See, Solomon drifted and it led to a place of, of worship of idols. And this broken relationship, it led to a miserable life at the end. When he writes the book Ecclesiastes, you need to know he's writing it at the end of his life. The regrets that he had at the end of his life. And he not only calls it meaninglessness, he actually calls it a grievous evil. And the word in Hebrew for that word evil there is raw. 
R-A. It means harmful, destructive, and miserable. At the the end of his life, Solomon is miserable. I'll tell you this. There's a danger of discontentment because it leads to spiritual drift and the ultimate destruction. We see in some ways self-destruction of our lives. The drift that can happen. What you start, just like a Larry starting up, thinking he's going to experience what he wants to experience and it took him farther and affected him greater than he ever thought it would be before. I tell you, sin. Sin. When you allow it to drift, it will take you farther than you ever thought you experienced. And it will have a price you, you never thought you would ever, ever had to pay in extremes. And that's what that's happened with Solomon. But it starts small. It starts with the, just a little bit of seed of discontentment. And for our lives, maybe again, we wouldn't take the extremes that these guys did. But there's a beginning points in our life. And you can almost call it the what ifs. Or I'm sorry, uh, the if-onlys. The if-onlys of life. You know, if you had more money, then you would be happy. And then your family would be provided. Or whatever the, the needs that you think will make your life happier. If, if only my job could change. If I had a different job or a better job or a more well-paying job, my life would be better. If, if only I had a girlfriend or boyfriend. Or if only I had a spouse. And if the spouse would love me for who I am. And, and if only I had the, a, a solid group of friends that can encourage me. These if-onlys, and the danger of these if-onlys is this. When we get into the if-only mode, we're blaming everyone and everything else for our dissatisfied and our discontented lives, and rather than owning it. So what we do is we, we shift blame in the if-onlys. You blame your bank account, your spouse, your ex, your kids, your job, your health. There's someone else or something else that we can blame. And when we're missing out, we're trying to find true meaning in our lives. We're never really wrestling down the issues of discontentment in our lives. I'm going to say something. This is super obvious, but we got to hear it today. We got to hear this. I got to hear it obvious in my life as well. See, I think Solomon came to this conclusion. And I hope that we can come to this conclusion as this. Our discontentment, here's our core truth today. Our discontentment isn't a problem with our circumstances, but with our desires. Is that true? Our discontentment isn't a problem with our circumstances, but with our desires. That is so true, but we buy into this lie that, that if I could change this and change this, my life would be better. I'm not saying that, that life can be good sometimes and the circumstances sure help us. Some of you go like, a little bit more money would be helpful, a little bit better relations. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't believe that God wants to provide for you and bless you and even in some tangible ways, well, that's not Christianity. That's Buddhism. Like, you know, it's not self-denial and pain that God wants us to go through, but he's teaching us and shaping us, as Shane shared, about the pain you're going through, the circumstances that God is on the move, and he's moving our lives, and he's doing a work in us so he can do that work through us. But the problem we get into is that whatever the thing is or the person is on this earth, it will not, it, the more doesn't fix our problems, it just amplifies our problems sometimes. It amplifies really what's going on many times in our heart. It's our heart issues. It's the desire issues that we have more than our circumstances. Now, I read those first two dark verses in chapter 6. Well, it gets even darker here and even more disturbing. Okay, just prepare yourself for this. 
Solomon goes on of the condition that we're at in discontentment. He says, a man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Like, I read that like, really? Do you need to go there, Solomon, with that analogy? And that, but he does. He goes on, he says, it, it comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shroud. Though it never saw the sun or even or, or knew anything, it has no more rest does the man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place? That's fatalistic. You know, that, what he's saying, all the same place, what he's saying is to the grave. You know, the, the Jews back then, the Jewish people, even Solomon himself, and even Jewish people modern today, they don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in an afterlife, by the way. They're just saying, this is it. That's it. That's all it is. Now, I could comment more on that, but I just want to rip the band-aid off of this chapter, okay? Can we just do this here? Everyone, he goes, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over the fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better that the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named. Whatever humanity has, has already been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning. How does this profit anyone? And then, out of this bleak outlook of life, Solomon finishes the chapter with these two questions. And these are two questions that I believe we can answer at the end of this time. In fact, you just reread these questions, like, I don't know, I think I know the answers to these. He, he asks these questions is, Who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a, sh like a, a shadow? Who can tell them? What will happen under the sun after they are gone? You know, reading that back then, they're like, who knows? Who can know? No one really knows. No, no, no. We can know. We can know. We know that we know beyond where Solomon was. We know because there's hope and fulfillment in Jesus. We can answer those questions. Say, you know this already. That's the answer to that. But the challenge for us is, is to live it within that answer. To live with the satisfaction, there's one key thing I want to end with to really bring it back to the fact that we're really going to help us through and work through discontentment. Because here's the thing, we, once we admit our discontented life, there is something we need to do about it. But, the, but it comes back to choice. And the other day I came across this thought here, and, and Chris put in a little graphic for me to do this. So here, here's what I want to start off, is just ask this question, are you happy? Are you happy? And if, if you are happy, yes, you are happy, okay, then keep doing what you're, you're doing. In fact, you're really happy now. You might go, you know what? I, I bet I could get a good table at Bob's right now for lunch and, and get in there. I could leave early. But don't leave early. But if you're happy, you're like, I'm good, right? Okay, that's great. Good for you, okay? Now, well, let's ask the question, are you happy? No. Okay, let's admit, there's times, there's days, there's moments. We're not happy. Well, what are you going to do with the happiness? You have a choice. Do you want to be happy? If you don't want to be happy, no. Well, then keep doing what you're doing. Good for you. You're not happy. You're living your miserable life. You know people like that. Are you happy? No. What are you going to do about it? nothing? I'm just going to live. It's your identity. There's people out there that live with the identity of not being happy. This is the way life is. Oh, that's sad, right? 
I don't know about you, that's not what I want to live. And so I do. You're not happy? Yes, I'm not happy. What, did you want to do something with your happiness? Well, here it is. Change something. You're like, yeah. It comes down to that. It's, it's a choice that we have to make. Why? Because your discontentment has to do with your circumstances. It has to do with the desires that you have. And are you going to put those, where you are in your desires and get to the heart issue is there. So here's the thing. Are you living a dis contented life, a dissatisfied life. What do we do? Well, I want to talk about some proactive, practical steps in diffusing discontentment. The first is very simple. You could come up with this list, but to help us out, here's a few. Stop and reflect. Just stop and reflect. We're really good as human beings, or actually really bad as human beings of, of just being, of just stopping and reflecting and, and saying, ask you a question, where is my source? Here's the question. Where is my source of my discontentment? Where's it coming from? I think that's really important to ask that, to take time to reflect, where is it coming from? And to help you with some choices or some thoughts of where it's coming from, to dig in a little bit, ask yourself this, did I grow up that way? Did I grow up in a discontented home? Meaning like people, and again, there can be economics that drive this, that there wasn't enough money in your home. There's no, there's, there's, there's scarcity, but scarcity really is an attitude. Did you grow up in that attitude of scarcity? That could tell you a lot about where you're at today in your background. Here's the other thing. Are you comparing yourself? Are you comparing yourself with others? But we'll get to that later. Are you comparing yourself with others? How about this one? Is there an inner angst that you have? Is there inner anger? Where is that anger coming through? Are you angry at other people? Or you, you find there's injustice, like they get the fair share and I didn't get what I wanted. And you, do, you, do you struggle with that a little bit? Do you struggle even with your own anger against yourself? You have probably forgiving others, but you forgive yourself. You live in regrets. You have ultimate buyer's remorse, or you made decisions in your life. You're going, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. There's a sense of discontentment. Where's that coming from? And then I would just say also, you're trying to fill a void in your life, a lack of, of love or peace or joy. I know for me, another question I'm asking myself is, I struggle still with control. And in my striving to find control, I've, there's a discontented part of my life. There's a dissatisfaction. Where is that coming from? I think it's good to stop and reflect on that. Here's the thing what's so, so beautiful is God will reveal that to you if you ask. He says, be still and know that I'm God. Take the time this week. And once you can identify more of a source of what's causing your discontentment, what are you going to do about it? No, I challenge you with this is this, is remove any distractions that become triggers. Anything that's a trigger in your life to do that. Now, you've got to protect yourself, but, but also, now, I'm not saying avoid people and avoid circumstances, but there's things in our life that we could do better at that would not trap us and, and trip us up. As much as I love social media, and I love the access to that, I'm still finding it's a distraction. I'm still finding myself in this comparison of other people and what I'm doing and what they're doing. I can look and see things like, wow, that's a beautiful meal with, and they're having a beautiful time with their spouse and great for them. What about me? And I'm like, wait a second. I have a, I have a beautiful wife. Why don't I have a beautiful meal as well with them? Why, why don't I actually live that out rather than someone else's thing? Why don't I live what, what I have for you? And we can get distracted. We can pulled away in different things. And I find that a lot. Myself caught up. Now, some of you like social media 
media is not your issue, but there might be other issues that you're connected with. It might be what you're watching on TV or going shopping. You're, you're finding yourself kind of in a place of discontentment because you're surfing Amazon all the time, right? There's, there's ways and things that those are obvious triggers that happen in our life that cause us to get in a consumer mindset rather than a Christ-falling mindset that we go. If we're waking up going, what do I get out of life every day? It's not a good, that's not a good attitude. It's like, what am I going to do with my life today is the question. Am I filling myself with what's consuming for myself and my own that's never going to satisfy me? Or am I cracking over open God's word? I mean, we spend hours on, on media, social media, and we spend minutes on God's word. Like, that's probably a big problem, right? What are we doing about that? So, Getting away, removing those things that bring triggers and then focusing more. And I tell you this, if you're struggling with this and you, you know, because I would challenge you if like, if you could give this up for a day or a week, you're like, oh no, I don't know if I could do that. Well, that might be your issue. It might be whatever it is. If it's not a phone, it might be something else. You know, I can't, I couldn't go without like, well, the Bible calls that an idol. If it's, if, if your time and your attention, everything's towards some, something else or someone else, it's an idol and it's called sin. I hate to break it to you. I don't, I, well, I need to tell you. It's sin. It's wrong. And it's pulling you away. And it's, it's, it's bringing dissatisfaction, discontentment in your life. And what Hebrews tells us to do is just let us throw off everything. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Get rid of it. Let it go. And focus on what you really do truly have. You have people around you that love you. You have a God who loves you. You have Jesus who died for you. What else do you need? When you let it go, then you have the capacity to take a great step as this, is to express generosity to others. When you come to that place and realizing, letting go what's holding you back, now you have capacity for a greater work that God wants you to be a part of. I love what the Apostle Paul says. I love this scripture. It just came to life this week for me. 2 Corinthians, he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Is he, do you believe he is? Yes. God is able to bless you abundantly. So in that all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's, it's come to this place of going, when I know that God is an abundant God and what he provides and blesses my life, when I have that attitude abundance, I'm not going to be in need because my needs will be met at all times, in all places, and, and, and th- thrive in every good work so that when I'm enriched, what's it saying? I can be generous toward others. And when I experience generosity through my life and I give, guess what? There's a thanksgiving. What is it? A, appreciation that I'm not taking God for granted and circumstance for granted. I'm grateful for what he has. And there, my discontented life is taken care of because I have everything I need. I tell you, when you do that, when you become generous, not just financially, that's a great way to be generous in materials and possessions that you have to give away. But when you're you're giving love generously, when you're giving care generously, and I would say giving encouragement generously. I was thinking about the other day. Encouragement means, it means the word to speak courage into somebody. It means to say 
speak bravery into him. Say, you can do it. God's with you. I'm with you. I love Hebrews. It says, let us consider how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love that word spur. It's like a horse, right? Kind of get the horse going, get it, get it moving. You know, sometimes we need kind of a pat on the back or kick in the butt, right? Sometimes we need to get going, to get moving in life. And when we're doing that, we're encouraging each other. I tell you, we live in a cutthroat society. And it's the scarcity mentality. And there's competition that happens. And I tell you, when that, you need to realize when you are generous, uh, it's like being a cheerleader. If you're, if, or I'm sorry, if, if, you're, if you're jealous, is being, is having, the, to combat jealousy is to be a cheerleader, to encourage people. And when you cur- encourage people, because you can't, it's hard, to, it's hard to be jealous of someone you're encouraging. It's hard to be jealous when you're giving and, and pouring into a person. And, and that competition in our world and that battle we got to fight is not we don't have to fight it alone. We just model what Jesus says or what Paul says of Jesus. He says, who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That's our model to us. And when we serve we find that we can fight that discontentment. We're using our lives. We're cheering others on. It's a powerful thing. So with that, speaking of serve, is serving where you are. It's serving where you are. And we, when we find ourselves in discontentment, is this, I don't like my circumstances and I want to change what I'm doing. So I, I wish I could do that over here. I wish over here. And I, if this could happen, we just have it. And you're realizing, whoa, God's saying, oh, no, I got you here. Like I hear right here, this moment, this time, in this space, and this community, and your circumstances, the challenge is to serve where you are. I find a lot of people are kind of waiting for the next thing and the next chapter. And well, you know, once I get my life together over here and I get less busy over here, then I can serve and then I can help and then I can do that. Guess what? That time never comes. I'm more, and I'm not saying there's not seasons of life and busyness and, and taking care of things and be taking care of and responsibilities. But if we're all waiting for the next thing and then the bigger thing. Jesus says, be faithful in a few things and you will be in charge of many things. Serve where you are. Serve right now where you are. If anybody understood contentment, would it be the Apostle Paul? In fact, I was, if you needed a passage of, of how to find contentment, what I'm about to read is the passage in, in the Bible, hands down. But as I read this, you got to keep this in mind. Paul was not in a palace like Solomon who had it all. Paul was in a prison cell and had nothing. And I want you to hear his words here. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Again, Paul is reading this not from a comfortable chair at Starbucks. It's writing this with his latte. He's in prison. He is in chains. He's in, under house arrest. He's, he cannot leave where he's at. He is going to be sentenced to death. And he writes these. And he says, let me tell you the secret I have found in contentment. Now when someone presents like, hey, can I tell you this? Can I tell you something? Can I help you? Here's something I really, you want to listen, don't you? Okay, Paul. (laughs) 
what is the, the great secret of contentment? And what you're going to read here going, oh, wait, 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 I know this. I've heard this. So famously, he says the big secret of contentment. Here it is. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You've heard that verse. It's over said and underlived, that verse. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Paul nails down, God shows us the secret of contentment. If we're trying to go after and do after and fly after and get to altitudes of life and try to be, no, he says, here it is. Here it is. This is the secret. It's, it is and always been Jesus. Let me finish off with this thought is this. The chasing the sun changes our desires. Chasing the sun is what changes our desires. It's not our circumstances that need to change. It's our desires. And the, for our desires to change, we have to chase after Jesus. I stated at the very beginning, the sun, S-U-N sun, Paul, uh, Solomon says it's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. The S-O-N sun brings meaning, fulfillment. Jesus said that came to give life, abundant, real, eternal life. It doesn't mean life's easy. It just means when we chase after Jesus, our flight plan changes. Our flight plan changes. The where we're going, our destiny changes. And I've, if you're in a place right now and there's a drift, you're in a place right now, you're just going, you want to do your thing, try to take extremes in your way, you are going to be disappointed because the circumstances, no matter they are, Paul's saying he was in, at nothing. He tells us, let me tell you the secret. The secret truly is Jesus and chasing after Jesus. I'd like our team to come and I just want to close in this just a basic question. Do you have true contentment in Christ? Do you have true contentment in Christ? Because here's the powerful thing. No matter what you strive for in chasing after Jesus, and, 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 and as much as we're to chase after him and pursue him, but we don't pursue him all on our side of things. You need to know that's religion. Pursuing after God in our ways, and no matter how high you want to, you know, fly like Larry in the lawn chair, or how Solomon tried to go to heights of experiences, none of us are going to get to God by ourselves. As much as we're to chase after Jesus, the fact is God chased after us out of His great love, sent Christ to come and pursue us from the very beginning in the garden. We, he chased after Adam and Eve. He came to. Christ came to the cross, chasing our souls, wanting us in a relationship with him. The Bible says, when you draw near to God, God draws near to you. And you might hear me this morning, you've chased after so many different things, and you've got discontentment. Are you happy? No. Do you want to, do you, are you want to stay unhappy? Yes. Okay, well, I guess you could leave early if you want. Or you could be included in this prayer today going, wow, I want, I need prayer today. I am dealing with dissatisfaction. I'm dealing with discontentment in my life right now. And I want to give it to the Lord. And I told you to take a little inventory. Maybe God's already revealed to you some things right now. Saying, this is what, this is some areas. But I tell you, it's not about that even. It's about, are you pursuing a heart after God? And so what I love about chasing Jesus, when we chase Jesus, he change, changes our desires. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Once we delight in the Lord and truly desire in the Lord, his desires become our desires. And that is the secret, Paul's saying, where you're going to find contentment. 
that you're going to find not just Jesus to be the Savior of your soul, but be the satisfier of your soul. And what more do we truly need? Will you pray with me? Lord, it's so true in a world we live in that it feels bleak. And as much as we read Solomon's words, they, they seem exaggerated. They are. They're, they're there to get a point. They're there to shock us. But they do reflect the, the condition of our world and the sinful world that we live in. A Christless world that, that pursues everything else but you. And Lord, we can look at places and circumstances and people that really truly where a move of God needs to take place. But really truly for any kind of move of God to take place, Lord, it has to be in our own very souls here today. We only can focus on ourselves when it comes to that and the attention of our very souls. And so today for my family here, my brothers and sisters who are struggling today and finding true contentment, Lord, as they take that time to reflect and Lord, you will reveal and you will show. In fact, right now, you're showing people right now an area of their life that they need to turn over to you. They need to turn over a person. They need to turn over a circumstance, a problem, an unfulfillment that they've had, a disappointment that they have regrets about, whatever it might be. They would put that aside, Lord, that we would put it away, whatever hinders us, and we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we chase after you. And Lord, in our pursuit, what's wonderful and beautiful is that you meet us where we're at. As we pursue you, you pursued us already. You ran hard after us and wanting relationship with us so much that Jesus came and lived and died on the cross and rose again to give us that life that we have. And God, I pray for those here today that are, are, do not have a relationship with you, that they are not finding contentment in you, Christ. But today they would say, yes, Jesus, you are the one I desire. You're the one that I'm hoping for to not only save me, but satisfy my soul. You truly do that. And for every single one of us here today, may we leave with the heart and passion and desire to delight in you, to grow in you and pursue you. And Lord, what's beautiful when we do that, not chasing after our circumstances, not chasing after anything else, but we find the secret of contentment as pursuing you and loving you. And we delight in you, Lord. Then you, Lord, give us the desires of our heart, the very desires that you want us to have, that we can truly find fulfillment, that we can be generous, that we can serve, and that we can love and not be consumers of this world, but be amazing contributors to your kingdom for your glory and your praise. We ask this in Jesus' name.